Corner 3 Podcast, weekly tales of the NBA's hardwood from the suburbs of Cincinnati. Check us out at thecorner3.net. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another fast break here on the Corner 3 Podcast. It's time to talk to Toronto Raptors. So excited to see a team who just finished up the second coming in the Eastern Conference Finals. Alex, Tim Dan here with another than the Hoops hype man himself, Alex Derrickson. And I can guarantee this episode is going to be on Fred Van Fleek. Yes. Yes, it will be. And we're bringing our Hoops historian himself, another than Sean Mackey. What's going on, everyone? How are you, sir? All right. And ladies and gentlemen, bring him on here to talk a little Toronto Raptors basketball with us. We have none other than John Godish. John, thank you for taking some time to be on the Corner 3 Fast Break. Pleasure, guys. Thanks for being. Thanks for having me. So, John, before we start the interview here, what we like to do with our guests is we like to give them a chance to kind of introduce themselves, talk about themselves, you know. So tell us a little bit about how, who you write for and how your, your Raptors fandom started. And, uh, take it from there, man. Sure. I've been uh, writing for Raptors HQ. That's SB Nation's team site for the last two and a half seasons. So uh, I'm going into my second full season writing for the site. I'm an editor there now uh, and just been a follower of the Raptors since about the mid 2000s. Pretty familiar with the team history before then. Uh, Just, uh, you know, I freelance sports write in other areas, but uh, main focus is basketball and I just uh, have an appreciation for the team. Um, I live in Winnipeg, so I'm not in the Toronto area, but uh, have always just had the team, you know, on the television, been exposed to it. I've loved basketball my whole life, and uh, it just seems like a natural fit. <clears throat> John, um, the... Uh... The Raptors had a ridiculously awesome season last year. I mean, it was the best season in franchise history. What was like, you know, what was that as like a, fa- you know, to be a fan of the Raptors because they've endured so many bad years. You know, they're still kind of a new team. I think it was in '96 that they started, um, and uh, you know, what was it like last season as a fan? Yeah, it's exciting, man. I mean, uh, it's been a team that's kind of come together over the years. Uh, you've had pieces from the Brian Colangelo area era kind of carry over, but uh, for the most part, this has been an assembling of uh, General Manager Masai Ujiri's uh, kind of brain trust uh, over time. He's held on to some of those pieces, but been able to build. And to see it come together kind of in a way where it's a team that's been built over time as opposed to, uh, you know, buying up in free agency, you were able to see kind of over the years where things would, uh, you know, ideally end up going. Uh, You know, when they drafted Jonas Valanciunas and he spent a year overseas, he kind of hoped that he would come back and be the kind of center he is today. And, uh, you know, projecting out, he could still get better. So examples like that, I think it's just been, it's just really rewarding to see the team uh, come together, be a deep team, win 56 games. It was just really exciting to see it all come to fruition. Yeah, last year you added uh, Damari Carroll. He signed a four-year deal. He had a ridiculously solid season uh, in his first year. And then you added Bismarck Biombo, who was uh, insane in the playoffs defensively, and he had some, some decent scoring in a few games. Um, but he bailed this offseason. Uh, how much do you think the Raptors are going to miss him? Well, I think he's a huge loss for the team. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the money situation just didn't work uh, 
we kind of knew as fans and people following the team that he was going to command somewhere in the vicinity of what he got up uh, $17 million, I believe a year, Uh, just based on his uh, just, just based on how well he played in the playoffs. And while there's not a big market in the NBA these days for centers, I think there is a significant market for players uh, that bring to a team what Bismack Biombo does. He's not somebody who uh, uh, needs to take possessions from you on offense. He kind of works around the outside of what, you know, your other players are going to do. And that really worked for the Raptors with uh, ball demanding guards like Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Do they have a player that's really, really ready to step in and bring what he brought to the team? No, I don't think so. But Jared Selinger is a good addition for the team. He's a really good, maybe uh, underrated rebounder. Uh, maybe not in Bismack Biombo's category, but Selinger can definitely grab boards uh, in that power forward spot. And definitely a huge upgrade over Luis Scola who started at the four last year. So that's an exciting pickup. And then it's just a question of who's going to be that fourth big man behind Salinger, uh, Valanchunas, and Patrick Patterson. They've got a couple guys who are pretty green in uh, Lucas Nagera and uh, Pascal Siakam. And uh, we just don't know if, the, if those guys are going to be ready to be really good rotation pieces. But for the first part of the season, I think they'll be okay with those first three guys. Yeah, uh, Biombo. I I was actually. You said that you know you thought that he was going to garner that kind of you know offer that he ended up getting from Orlando, but I I thought he got kind of overpaid a little bit to do what he does. But he, he had a great. He had like two really good series in the playoffs last year, and I I mean I, I get it, and people were throwing money around like crazy this summer. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I think you guys kind of got a steal in Jared Sullinger. You kind of mentioned him a little bit. Um, I thought he was a really big piece of the Celtics' success over the last, you know, two seasons, and I think he's going to bring. I think he's going to bring it to Toronto. I think he's really going to help them out, and I, I don't think. I think people are underselling him this mm-hmm. season. Yeah, no, totally. I agree with you. I think what Masai Ujiri did with Bismack Biombo is he brought him in on a one-year prove-me deal. Uh, where he wasn't really uh, working out with the Hornets. They weren't playing him that much. You know, he showed a bit of upside, but he got the one-year prove-me deal, and then he got a lot of money on the back end of that deal, where I think he got about a $14, $50 million raise. And uh, Masai Ujiri waited out the market again this summer, uh, waited out those big men, and uh, ended up with a great deal with Jared Selinger late in free agency with, I think, about a $6 million deal. So... Again, it's a prove-me deal. They're going to be in a situation where if Selinger plays to his uh, expectations, they'll probably lose him in the offseason to somebody willing to pay for him. But uh, it's just filling out the roster. And sometimes with the challenges of being a team that has so much continuity, like the Raptors, where they bring back a significant portion of their core and paid for those guys, it can be difficult to fill out the roster without going into the luxury tax. And I think, uh, you know, Masai Ujiri has done a great job doing that and filling the team. So, John, Tim, uh, so, go ahead, Shy Alex. I'm sorry. Yeah, Tim. No, Tim, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, I jumped in on you. Oh, I, mixed, I got to mix up there in communication. Uh, so, John, you know, let's talk a little bit about um, Kyle Lowry and the season he had. Uh, you know, obviously took a huge step for just being a leader for this Raptors team. Uh, the backcourt of him and DeRozan has been outstanding for this team. Obviously, taking to the ECF, that unbelievable series victory against Miami. Um, what did you see from Larry this year that really where he took that step forward? I mean, obviously having the success in the summer as well with the gold medal. 
Yeah, I mean, last season coming in, he was just a lot more in shape, I think, and that was the big difference. Uh, Coming into this year, I think that the best thing you could say is that Olympic experience. I mean, he got to be kind of in the conversation and spending time with the best players in the world, basically, in uh, Team USA basketball. And I think he he really didn't take that for granted at all. I think he was really proud to uh, be a member of that team, to get the chance to mingle with those guys, learn from them. And, And I think that you know, with high-end, you know, A-list basketball players like that, the more time that they get to spend with each other and learn from each other, it's going to be valuable. And Kyle Lowry sometimes gets lost in the conversation, you know, whether it's playing north of the border or maybe his diminutive size or whatever it is. I think Lowry kind of gets lost in the John Wall, Kyrie Irving conversation, you know, Chris Paul, those type of, you know, elite point guards. Lowry maybe gets lost, and uh, I think – Having the USA basketball experience puts him out there a little bit more, but he definitely should be in the conversation with those guys. I think there was a stat during the Olympics where his like him and like the best lineup they had was him and Paul George in the court, but they kept obviously putting Kyrie and Melo out there, which is understandable. But like the plus minus was like a twelve difference between the four. Yeah, statistically, he was their best defensive player by net rating, uh, which ended up being pretty crucial. Uh, to, as crucial as it can be when they're winning every game by 50 points. but <laughs> uh, You you just mentioned Kyle Lowry. Uh, he has you know mentioned he's going to opt out at the end of the year, hopes to have a future with the Raptors and everything. Where do you see, like, if they can't get a deal done, uh, how much faith is there in Norman Powell? Is there reason uh, to be excited, you know? Yeah, I think it's two different conversations. Uh, Bringing Kyle Lowry back, I think, for me, is a critical part of continuing to build this team. Uh, The Raptors, for the last two and a half seasons, I think, have just, you know, kind of been waiting at the edges while LeBron James uh, dominates the Eastern Conference. And it's really difficult to project any team in the East uh, overthrowing Cleveland as long as LeBron's still kind of in his prime as he is now unless he takes a big step back I think the Raptors are still going to be hard-pressed to get to the finals over Cleveland so then the question becomes I think do you want to start again maybe start with a younger core or continue and keep that team continuity and try to build around the edges uh, I'm uh, I'm of the team that if they're going to make a big swing in a trade or in free agency, you kind of need to have a reason to get meetings with free agents and attractive players that you know free agents are going to want to play with. So I don't see you know free agents coming to a team that uh, Kyle Lowry leaves or where there's just one of the two of Lowry or DeRozan. I think if they're going to swing and try to get a third piece and somebody who could put them over the top, they're going to need to have to pay him and. Uh, keep him there for the Norman Powell thing. I think he's a really exciting player. I think he's probably going to spend some time at backup three this year or backup two. Um, they still need uh, Kyle Lowry's presence to run the offense though. And I don't think Corey Joseph is quite ready to be a front end uh, starting point guard for the team, but Powell's very exciting. They definitely have their share of depth uh, from the wing position with Terrence Ross there too. So it, it's, probably one of the best benches either in the East or in the league and bringing Kyle Lowry back is definitely uh, bolstering how deep this team is. And, and with that being said and everything, you, you, you mentioned how, I mean, the Raptors going against the Cavs again in the playoffs and they tested the Cavs. I remember Sean even was at one point when they, they won the two games. He even, he even teased that he thought the Raptors might be able to pull off the upset. 
So with with losing Bismack Biombo and adding Jared Solinger, and you've kind of weighing the options of Lowry and everything, where do you see the season headed? You know, coming off of the you know performance in the playoffs, then losing kind of a key defensive player. Yeah, it's hard not to see the team step back a little bit. There was uh, just a confluence of everything working uh, for the team to get to that fifty six win point. Um, I think there'll still there'll be a little bit of you know, working things out with the new guys early in the year. Uh, like I said, Bismack Biombo was the type of player where you didn't need to worry about him fitting in any way uh, from an offensive standpoint. He just kind of was out there to do all the dirty work. But with players like Jared Selinger, and they're hoping that uh, their young guys like Seacam, Powell, uh, Yaka Pertl maybe will be a rotation player, their ninth pick in the draft. There's just a lot of pieces that are going to need to be kind of worked in and worked in over time. So I see them taking a step back. And the other thing I like this year is that they have somebody in the division finally to challenge them in Boston. So there could be two other 50-win teams in the East, I think, this year, along with Cleveland. And uh, having that Boston team there as a benchmark for the Raptors will be good for them, I think, because it'll kind of keep them pushing. Because I think there is a big, soft middle of teams in the East, you know, apart from those three. And uh, it'll allow them not to be complacent. And and we've talked about that when we've talked uh, previewed the Eastern Conference and everything, that it, it's basically Cleveland, some combination of Toronto or Boston, and then basically swappable parts. So yeah. the, the East, I think, yeah, I think there's a good chance for them to step back, but it also not really do any damage because the East is kind of soft. Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams on the come up, but I think there's also a lot of teams that are not quite there yet, like in that 45 win range. Like I would not be shocked to see, you know, eight, nine teams finish between 40 and 45 wins this year. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the East. It's it's just a it's a shot in the dark after Cleveland, really, <laughs> you know, barring injuries and, uh, you know, anything can really happen this year, especially this year, especially with, uh, like you said, you know, we have all these Toronto players that left. Um, so it'll be, it's kind of hard to even pin them. I imagine they'll probably be between two and four in the East when, you know, by the time the playoffs start. Um, but it's interesting. They, they won, I think, was it 49 wins or 47 wins two seasons ago? Um, and then they got to 56 this year, which was, you know, they've, they've made steady progress. And, uh, like you said, it's kind of, they're going to, they might, they might be taking a slight step back with, you know, some of these new guys. Um, but, uh, I'm going to take a page out of Alex's playbook here. Um, (laughs) um, I'm going to ask you if you could trade for a player, um, superstars withstanding, what is a guy that that you could bring into that to bring into Toronto that would um, really help you guys out is in a kind of a role um, kind of a role player fashion someone to put you over the hump get you at least back up to fifty six wins. Well, I mean, it, it depends. I, I really think this team for three seasons uh, since well even more than that I think since Chris Bosch left to Miami that they've just been totally lacking at the power forward position. And yeah. especially with this roster, we've got two really high-end slashing guards who can get to the rim, and Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. They both do it in different ways, but they're both you know, able to slash, able to get in the rim, and they're, and they're both able to pass as well and set up their teammates. But what they've really been missing is kind of a skilled power forward to augment those games and be able to shoot the ball as well as be a presence inside, someone to throw the ball into and uh, take a little bit of pressure off of the guards. 
uh, it would make them a more efficient team. So there's always a lot of chatter, I know, among Raptors fans. And I guess I share in that, too, that if they were willing to swing for a DeMarcus Cousins trade, I think that this would that would put the team in, in a definite conversation. You just said the magic the words, I think. <laughs> and I yeah, think it's that's... a doable trade, too. I think they've got young pieces that the Kings would go for. And I'm not saying the Kings are known for bad trades. I think that if they want to go all in on a rebuilding process and DeMarcus Cousins is still unhappy with uh, their coaching change, there's definitely going to be an opportunity where teams are going to go after him on the trade market. And I think that the Raptors are probably one of four or five teams that have the best roster to make a good offer for him. So that would be the missing piece, I think. And that would definitely change it to where they could beat uh, a Cleveland team. I like that. That. That that makes so much sense for them, but like I think Demarcus Cousins is going to have to be one of those guys that where he's going to have to demand a trade because even though you know he's kind of uh, you know he seems like he's content kind of being out on Sacramento Island, you know being the man, but on like a really really weird crappy team, um, I just I, I just don't see them trading him. They're just so they're so stubborn about it, and he is their best player, so I understand wanting to hold on to a guy like that, but. I just I feel like he's going to have to demand a trade to get out of there, or just wait till the end of his contract to go anywhere. And it will be interesting if he becomes a free agent, where he's going to end up. Because uh, Toronto would be a where they're at right now. He would be a very exciting player to add to that roster. Yeah, and I think he was really unhappy with the George Carl situation last year. And Dave Yeager is a lot more of a players' coach, and will and won't be. Uh, won't be forcing his system on the players as George Carl was. So there's definitely more opportunity for him to be happy. But if he's unhappy, you know, 40 games into the season, I, I could see them definitely trying to put him out in the market and uh, him demanding a trade and having to go somewhere. So they they kind of have, he's the he, he's their ledge between just going all in on a rebuild. And uh, if they move him, they can kind of turn the clock back. And the Raptors have the young pieces to help them do that. Yeah, I, I I wish the Kings would trade him just because I I don't understand why they're you know like Rudy Gay is you know he he recently said that he doesn't know what they're doing and he's demand he's told them he's not going to resign there so I don't really and I I went on a big tangent about it a few weeks ago on other podcasts <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know I I I just think they need to part with them because they're not building around him I don't know what they're doing. Um, so yeah, like you said, he, he would be a great, great piece for that team. That's actually a perfect fit for that that squad. Would you take a chance on Chris Bosh if he got bought out? Uh, I'm kind of of the camp where Chris Bosh should maybe uh, you retire. Know, I want to see something independent, and I'm a little worried about him to be honest with you, yeah. just from a human standpoint. Obviously, yeah. if he were to come to the Raptors and you know not have any health issues, I'd be. You know, he's perfect. He'd be the perfect fit, which is kind of ironic considering <laughs> where, he's, where he's come from over the years and how he would fit with this team. But, uh, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, he's kind of, you know, he's he's one of those guys who could, you know, spread the floor for you and everything. And it's just, it's it's a damn shame right now what's going on with him. And it's kind of put the Miami Heat into a in a bunch. So, uh, you know, it's it's sad. But, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think he would be a great fit for that team if he was healthy. Yeah, and uh, you know we had the discussion. We had the discussion on the Raptors HQ podcast too about Bosch, and unfortunately, like from a money standpoint, it's hard to work it out too. Uh, if he were to go, and you know Miami buys him out, and he enters the market as a free agent, I think that 
there's just going to be this temptation to go with a team that's a lot closer to a championship if he's going to take he would have to take a significant pay cut to fit with the Raptors and it's the kind of pay cut where you know he could pick the Raptors or he could pick the Warriors and I think 10 times out of 10 he would go to the Warriors so it's kind of an awkward situation too well I hope not <laughs> that yeah let's need any more heads. um i kind of want to talk about a little bit about the playoffs real quick from last year too um uh, they won two seven game series and they get to they get to game four and i was of 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 the uh the conference finals and i like like alex said i was pretty convinced i thought that they I was like, I, I think they're going to win this thing. And were you confident that they might be able to to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in that series? Uh, I no, not really. I think that you know, winning Game Three, <laughs> I was I was so happy after Game Three that Game Four was kind of like a, a life highlight. You know, like it was two two, and they were going back to Cleveland, and it's LeBron, right? And you know, by the end of the finals, we saw just uh, the level to which he could go to to win basketball games for that team. And uh, I knew that if he, you know, wanted it and he wanted it bad enough, there was just nothing the Raptors could do. And uh, unfortunately, they just can't solve that problem right now. And I don't think anybody in the NBA can uh, unless, you know, the best team in basketball adds Kevin Durant to their team. Well, you uh, could go the Knicks route and, and the whole mellow thing where if you can't join them, you wait for them to opt out or trade and get <laughs> traded to you. So, yes. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the the playoffs, it was really awesome. And I think they, you know, it was trial by fire a little bit. If they had played a little bit better against uh, um, against Indiana and against Miami and made those series a little bit shorter, I think they would have had a better chance. But you could see that they were just worn out by the time they got back to Cleveland for game five. And I think they got killed pretty bad in that game. Uh, Fatigue definitely became an issue because they went, I think 45 days playing every other day in playoff basketball, which is just, you know, ludicrously tiring for those guys. And, uh, you know, Carroll had injuries, Lowry had injuries. DeRozan, I think was healthy, but he, you know, wasn't playing that well. So it all added up in the end. So, John, uh, you mentioned the Cavaliers and the Raptors in that series and how great that was for the chance to go to the championship. Ironically, in Toronto, they're facing another situation where they have to beat a Cleveland team to go to a championship as the Blue Jays are taking on the Indians in the ALCS. Yeah. So what's the excitement yeah. there? Do they feel like it's going to be a repeat, or do they feel like this team could really actually take it and head back to the series and maybe recreate the Joe Carter days? <laughs> it's hard for me to assess like the climate right now, but I, you know, I... I know that Toronto fans are really excited about the Blue Jays, and I think this is the matchup that they wanted to see. Just because Cleveland hasn't played as well as you know hasn't played them as well as Boston has this year. Um, you know, if, I've said this before to other people: if they hit like they have over the last week and a half, they could win the whole thing. And I think a lot of people recognize that too. They just kind of have to keep it going. Like you know, Encarnacion and Batista were both pretty bad in the regular season when you compare to where they have been in the last five years. And they've both turned it on tremendously to start this uh, to start this playoff run. If they keep if those two keep hitting like they are, and Donaldson can give them anything, I know Donaldson's banged up quite a bit, but I think that you know they have a better chance than anyone. They're, they're a stacked team talent wise, and uh, I would be thrilled to see them take on a you know a team like the Cubs or uh, another team that has all that top end talent. That I think that would make an awesome World Series. 
So uh, my last question for Alex takes over and closes out. And again, we're really appreciative of your time here before he takes over. Um, we've talked a little bit about DeRozan and DeMars had a, had a hell of a year last year. Like you mentioned, kind of uh, ran out of gas a little bit there at the end. Actually, you know, along with Lowry goes to play for team USA and really uh, was a huge part of that team as well. Um, <clears throat> in your eyes, you know, from where he's grown to from when you guys drafted him out of USC to where he is now, what is the ceiling for DeMar DeRozan moving forward? Yeah, I think that's the uh, well, that's the hundred thirty-nine million dollar question, right? Uh, he's been able to add something to his game every offseason, more or less. Uh, the last offseason, he had a great uh, ability to see the floor and pass the ball uh, into the corners, which he really wasn't able to do you know, over the last you know three years as a whole. Um, he's teased that he's added something to his game. I don't know what it is. I mean. Everybody every year wants to see him start making a three-point shot. And I think he showed in the playoffs that he's a little less shy to take corner threes, which is promising. But uh, it's 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 uh, it's a big question for this team what his ceiling is because as he gets older and as his uh, athleticism comes away from me, he's going to have to find those crafty ways of drawing fouls, getting to the rim, and he has to continue getting those calls because they're so important to his game. Uh, so... It's five more years, right? And uh, we hope that he can develop his shot a little bit more because as he gets older, he's going to need that more uh, for his game. Is his ceiling any higher than it is now? I'm not sure, and I'm excited to see you know, if he adds anything, what it could be this year. I want to express how proud I am uh, of Tim and myself and Sean because you're the second person to say corner three on the corner three and we didn't yell at you like we did the last person because we were so excited. Hey, it's a good part of basketball and it's a good name for a show. I appreciate that. (laughs) So before we cut you loose, we got to put on your thinking hat, your future seeing hat, your prediction hat. The Raptors 2016-2017 What's your bold prediction, your bold claim? Go out on a limb, and you can say someone heard it here first. Uh, it's hard. It's a hard team to be bold with because I think everyone kind of expects where they're going to be, and there's not a lot of fluctuation from that. And I'm not going to be negative and say that they you know, get a bunch of injuries and tank it. Um, <laughs> my bold prediction is that uh, they get pissed off by Boston. Uh, Boston's doing a lot of talking about the Raptors, and a lot of people are overlooking the Raptors now and talking about the Celtics. My bold prediction is uh, the Raptors win 54 games and they sweep the Celtics in the regular season. Ooh. Damn. I like it. Like it. All right. I'm just words. the land. <laughs> Boston's so easy to hate, man. I appreciate that they have a good team now. Uh, oh, sure. Good rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Rising tide raises all boats, right? Yeah. <laughs> ah. All right, so John, thank you again for taking some time to talk with us here. And uh, before we let you go, I'll just go ahead and give a uh, everyone can shout out. Follow you, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, uh, your website. The floor is yours, man. Yeah, so uh, all our work is at RaptorsHQ.com. That's uh, the SB Nation team site for the Toronto Raptors. And uh, you can follow me at John Godes. That's J-O-H-N-G-A-U-D-E-S. Awesome. John, thank you so much for giving us a little preview of Raptors basketball this year. Uh, and uh, we're really looking forward to what we see from this team. And hopefully we can catch up soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good night. Thanks, John. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Corner 3 Podcast, weekly tales of the NBA's hardwood from the suburbs of Cincinnati. Be sure to add us on Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, 
Instagram, and check out our brand new website at thecorner3.net.